this morning, a little, little, I'm sorry, there we go, I want to share with you this morning, a little different, like a backwards sermon, and when I shared that with the people who are here early on Sundays, I said, hey, today's sermon's actually backwards, they said, are you going to face the stained glass window, and I said, no, I ain't going to do that, I said, I'm going to put the pulpit in, in the sound booth, and they said, well, now we'll have to move to the front, that's not what I mean by backwards sermon, normally in a sermon, uh, you share the content or you share the teaching from Scripture, and then there's a challenge on what difference it should make in your life. I invite you to allow God's Word to make a difference in your life. Well, today, I'm doing it a little backwards. I want to start by praising this congregation for the way you have allowed God to use you through this church in the last a month. Uh, you have served both those you have known People in our congregation who have gone through surgeries have fallen maybe on upon a hard time. They're, they're facing expenses they don't know about. They're dealing with either physical illness, emotional stress. Uh, a lot of those things are magnified when it comes to the holidays. And I have witnessed both publicly, and you have heard at our Thanksgiving dinner, people share about how they themselves had been ministered to. But also there's a lot that goes on privately because when you serve people, you don't make it public. You do it in a way that they can maintain their dignity and yet see God using you in their lives. So you have ministered to people you have known. But beyond that, you have ministered to people that you have not known. I think of the uh, shoeboxes that we sent out weeks ago to children around the world that we will probably never meet and yet we do that. We invest the money not only to fill the box, but to send the box that it could be processed in order that those children may not only receive a gift in terms of the tangible what's in the gift, but also that they would be hopefully connected to a church because we know that Samaritan's Purse, that's how they use those shoeboxes. So we, you invested in that. You invested it in the uh, angel tree. Uh, two different nursing homes, people that maybe you don't even know, but you see it, you grabbed an ornament and said, here's this person's name, and here's what they would like. And you went out, and, and we did that for one nursing home. The other nursing home, they allow people in Heartland, they just allow them to go into a store. And we've received great reports as far as how that was received. And everything, that tree was picked clean. Every opportunity that you had to minister to people you know and people you don't know, you've taken. Um, I think also of the, the funeral dinner that we did for a, a family that some of us knew, but many of us didn't know, and you didn't hesitate to rise to that occasion. I have a card from them I want to share with you. This is from Nina, Ethan, Josiah, Ayla, and Zachariah Grant. It says, Thank you for your words of sympathy, your voice of concern, your gesture of caring, and the love you offer, the family of Peter Grant. But then Nina wanted to write, I think a special note just from her. It says, To my Central Community Church family, words cannot express my family's gratitude for the loving kindness you gave the day of my husband, husband Peter's homegoing service. The food and fellowship were such blessings. Thank you for being the hands, feet, and heart of Jesus, my brothers and sisters. May peace, blessings, and joy of the Lord be upon each of you. Love your sister in Christ, Nina Grant. So I will applaud you for God just allowing, God just working through you, both 
in the way that you minister to people you know and the way you've ministered to people you don't know. So this is a backward service. I'm praising you. That, the challenge is already there. The message is, why do we do that? Why do we do that? And truly, truly, the root or, or, or one of the sources that we can learn why you and I serve both those we know and those we don't know is found in the Christmas story. Each, each week, each week, we have been talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. And we know that he came as a baby. We know that, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But before I wanted to talk about that, him coming as a, an infant, his presence in, in Mary's womb and his birth in a manger, before I wanted to talk about that, I want us to understand a few other things. That Jesus came as the Word. We saw that in John chapter 1 as God's visible, tangible message of truth. God had shared his message with mankind throughout history, and he said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to send you my son so that he will eat and breathe and be with you, and you will see it. He will live out my message of truth. So we saw that. We also saw that he was a perfect priest. We read that, about that in the book of Hebrews. He came as a perfect priest, and we paralleled what a priest in the Old Testament looked like and how Jesus was now going to be our perfect priest moving forward, and that there was no successor. He was, he was going to be everything. He was perfect in so many ways. Just one of those ways was the fact that instead of being called out from men to basically serve God, he was called apart from God to serve us. And I mean, another way that he was perfect, as opposed to offering a sacrifice, he offered everything himself even death upon a cross, so that he could intercede for us, so that he could bridge the gap that existed between you and me and a perfect Savior and a perfect God. He bridged that gap as the perfect priest. And last week, we talked about him being a king. A king. And, and, and I've enjoyed every one of these. I enjoyed that, that message, that study for me as well, where people acknowledged him as being king. Both people who followed him, the three wise men, and also people who hated him in Herod. Herod acknowledged that he was a king by pursuing him to the point of killing all of those babies in an attempt to eliminate the true king. And as king, Jesus really didn't tout that title a whole lot, not until just before the cross, where Pilate just kind of cornered him and said, listen, you're saying you're a king? And he said, yeah, I'm saying I'm a king. But, but I'm not a king of this world. I'm a king of something far greater, something far more meaningful, something that's eternal. He didn't say all that to Pilate because Pilate didn't want to hear it, but that's what we know. We worship a king. And I think, I hope that as we approach Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, a passage that you probably know very well, I want you to keep in mind the fact that when he came, he came as many things, but we've already studied the fact that he came as God's message. He came as a perfect priest and a king. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. This is page 724. I invite you to turn there in the Pew Bible or any passage, any copy of Scripture that you have. I would love for you to use it. Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. <clears throat> Luke 
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. A lot of beauty in this passage, and we're going to share it again in our candlelight service with you, of course. But to, to this morning, I want to get you thinking about something. I'm going to ask you a question, and then I promise I'm going to answer it. But I really want to tease it out a little bit. If Jesus came as a perfect priest, and he came as a king, and he came as God's message, we, we know that to be true. Why come like this? Why come as an, an infant child, as, even, even as a man? Why, why limit himself? I mean, he, Jesus was fully God. And, and we're going we're gonna to end on a passage that explains this very clearly, maybe better than I can. But why would you come like that? Uh, remember last week, just in reference to a king, the, the magi came before Herod, and they didn't say, who, where is this child who is born that's going to become king? They didn't say that. They said, where is the child who is the king, born as king? Like the minute he was born, he was the king of the Jews. Where is that one? If I'm God and I'm king or I'm a perfect priest or I'm God's visible message, why come like this? Helpless. Uh, a human child. Why come like that? And again, I, I, want, I just wanted you to realize that. I don't know if you've wrestled with that thought before, but I wanted to create in you that tension. And I want to magnify it a little bit. If you're taking notes, this first blank, it's born by humble means. Our Savior was born by humble means. And, <coughs> pardon me, not only was it humble just to set aside much of his deity, not all of it, but he set aside much of his deity to become this infant child, to become a human to begin with. But there's some details just in this chapter that we learn a little bit more of the humble means of Christ's birth. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 5, I want to read that again for you. It says, he, being Joseph, went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, I know I've shared this with you in years past in regards to Christmas, but I want to make sure that we're all on the same page again. That verse was not okay in society back then. See, we, we think of it in terms of almost a beautiful picture, the two of them together, certainly. The fact that Joseph was looking after Mary is a beautiful thing. But they were pledged to be married, meaning they were engaged. They were in a, uh, a year space where you were, in one sense, can considered married, you were that committed to becoming married, but you did not have any type of relations with one another. You didn't live together. And here comes Joseph and Mary into town, and Mary is pregnant. 
You didn't do that back then in a Jewish society. They were excommunicated. If, you were, if, if I was to put it into three words, born by humble means, that first point, they, to social outcasts. Mary and Joseph were not acceptable to society. They were not fully wed, and yet she was pregnant. And people knew that. And so they would have looked down upon them. They would not have been welcome, even amongst some of their own family, who maybe did not believe um, that Mary was the first person in human history and the only person ever to conceive directly from God a child. That would have been hard to believe. So most of society, most of the people they knew, rejected them socially. So Jesus was born by humble means to social outcast. Also, we look at verse 7. It says, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We don't, you know, there's a lot of things we don't know about this verse. We, some of the things we can understand, I want to share with you that would be factual. There was, they were not able to stay in any kind of hotel or inn. They were not in a place where people stayed. They could not do that. Either uh, it says there was no room, whether that was by choice, an innkeeper going, I don't want a couple like you staying in my place. More than likely, it was just because of the, the taxes that were being collected and the fact that Bethlehem was crowded. So by the time they got there, there was no room. This manger that uh, Jesus was laid in, was a feeding trough. I mean, we, we make it pretty, and we certainly keep it clean. It certainly was a beautiful thing with our Savior Christ laying inside of it. But prior to Christ being put in that trough, it was an ugly thing. It was something that, you know, animals would slobber upon as they downed whatever hay or oats or feed was put into it. It was something that was probably left there, never cleaned real well, until it fell apart. I mean, that was the, the process of a feeding trough. I, for you farmers, you, you know what these things look like. Uh, as a dairy farmer for quite a long time, um, we would just put it out on a cement slab, and once in a while, we would scrape it clean and then put more feed out for the cows. That's how you fed at a dairy farm. Others, you know, I've seen just roll hay out onto the ground. This isn't a clean thing. This is so far away from a hospital, right? This is so far away from any place that a human had laid before. Born by humble means in a rough place. If you're taking notes, I just put that down. I said this was a rough place. It could have been like a lean-to on the back of an inn. You know, we keep the animals in the back. Could have been something like that. Could have been a cave. Uh, there are some very early church historians that refer to it as being like a cave. That's very possible. They use caves. If there was a cave on your property, that was great. I don't have to build anything. Wood was scarce. And rock took a long time to build with. So if you had a cave, you used that. It could have been something like that. We don't know. But it was a rough place. This is where a king is born? This is where a perfect priest comes into the world? Born 
by humble means in a rough place. I direct your attention down to verse 24. Um, This is after the birth of Christ, and eight days later, they go to the temple uh, to... Actually, let me just begin reading in verse 22. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Uh, This is a quote going back to a couple of passages, but one of them is Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 8. And you can write that down, Leviticus 12, 8, if you like, but I will tell you, basically it states that for purification... They were to bring a lamb. The reason why they brought two doves is because they were poor. There was, you know, if you couldn't afford a lamb as a sacrifice for purification, you could bring two doves. And that's what Joseph and Mary brought, meaning, meaning this, and we, and we see this in other places, that Jesus was born by humble means is very poor. Very poor. They were not, as a family, able to raise the funds even for a lamb. So they presented these two doves. What humble means to be born by to a a couple that were socially unacceptable, born in a very rough place, a place for animals, laid in a feeding trough, and born into a poor family. You and I wouldn't write this story, right? Like, I'm not right. I'm not going to come up with this. A perfect king, a perfect priest, uh, God's visible message, this is not how he comes into the world. So why do that? Why send your son into the world in that way? Well, the answer is simply that Christ's coming, his birth, the story of his birth, goes right along with the rest of his life. It was really, in one way, symbolic, but from start to finish, Christ's ministry, Christ's existence here upon earth was summed up with the word humility. His birth by humble means was followed by the fact that he ministered from humility. That's your second blank. Ministered from humility. Jesus and, and maybe I should pause and, and define humility for you, at least in this context as we are studying and looking at our Christ coming as a baby. Humility, I would define as this, is when your position doesn't get in the way of your service. It's when your humility in this situation, I believe, is when your position, who you are, doesn't get in the way of you serving someone. Humility, the opposite of humility is going, listen, I'm too good for that. I can't. I don't have time for those kind of people. I don't do that type of work. Uh, I'm really skilled in this area, therefore I don't do that. That's the opposite of humility. We never saw Christ do this. Christ, um, from a human perspective, just a human perspective, he was a Jewish rabbi, some would refer to him. He was a, others thought of him as a prophet. He was important. The fact that 
at many times thousands of people would follow him meant that he was someone important, and yet throughout his ministry, he talked to unimportant people and served them. You think a lady that had a, an issue of blood that uh, she would have been considered unclean and, and doctors couldn't heal her, and she just, you know, by faith touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus stops everything. In fact, he stops. He's on his way to meet with someone important and to save their daughter from illness. And he stops. And he, says, and he takes time for this unimportant person. At, at another time, when he's calling his disciples, he says, Matthew, hey, tax collector, uh, you're with me. And Matthew's like, what? And, and, all, and Peter was incensed. I mean, Peter, who had already been called by the Savior, is like, Jesus, we don't, we don't really do, you know, with them. We don't even talk to them. And Jesus is like, well, I got something else in mind. Is Matthew, come follow me. I'm going to totally change your life. He would do that. Uh, he spoke to a Samaritan woman at a well. It's like, you don't do that, Jesus. He's like, no, Jesus was humble. He didn't allow his position to interfere with his ministry. I think one, all of these are just amazing to study. One of the greatest is a Roman centurion comes to him. Think about that. A Roman centurion comes to Jesus. Everyone that's following Jesus is going, those are the bad guys. They're the ones that break into our house and take things because we may not have paid our taxes. Those are the ones that jailed my brother. Those are the ones that crucify, you know, our zealots. Uh, Jesus was probably fully aware of the fact that those would be the ones that were going to nail him to a cross, and yet the Roman centurion came to him, and Jesus served him, ministered to him. So humility, humility is not allowing your position to interfere with your service, and that's what Jesus did. Probably the, the man, I keep saying the best story. I, I don't know what the best story is. You've got to read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This stuff is amazing. Just read it. It's like a story. People say it's hard to read the Bible. Get a translation you understand and start reading the Gospels. It's a story. You can read it. I promise. Um, in John chapter 13, uh, Jesus and his closest followers all get to a room, and tradition back then is someone washed feet. And usually it was like the lowest servant had that job. That was just a nasty job back then. I won't even give you details. That was a nasty job. And everyone's sitting down at the table, and nobody's washing feet. Why? Because everyone's important. Everyone has a position at the table. Well, you know the story, right? Jesus ministered in humility. He got up from the table. He took off his outer garment, and he started washing the disciples' feet. He ministered from humility. The child king, the child savior who was born in a manger, born by humble means, ministered through his entire life in humility to everyone he came in contact with. He never once allowed his position to interfere with his service. He ministered from humility. In the, in the same book, Luke, Luke chapter 23, actually. We've read a little bit from the beginning of Christ's story. We go all the way to Luke chapter 23. I want to turn there. I want to read it. Luke chapter 23, same story. I'll send you home this week. You can read everything in between. Luke 
Luke 23, looking at verse 46. I'm going to start at, at verse 44 just to get the scene. This is the crucifixion of our Savior. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The point I want to make to you is this, that, that Christ's life was not taken from him. He was not murdered. They were doing the acts of murder. What he experienced was murder. But at the end, Jesus gave his life up freely. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I am giving it up. This is the ultimate act of humility. This is, he humbled, this is why in that last blank I said he humbled himself in the cross. As he went to the cross, it was, God, I'm giving you this. Everything I have, I'm giving it to you. The humility that we see in his birth as he came as a baby, he lived throughout his life as he ministered to everyone he came into contact with never once allowing his position to interfere with his ministry. And then at the end, his last act, prior to his resurrection, of course, his last act was to humbly give up his life to his Father. I'm giving it to you. What an amazing, amazing humility. And I want to invite you to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, because Paul is going to talk about all of this in a couple of verses. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it's page 831 in the Pew Bible, if you're using that. But more than anything, I want you to see this. This is why, as a church, we serve those we know and those we don't know. This is why we should operate from humility. Paul, a couple decades after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection... Paul's summing this up. He's writing a letter to the church at Philippi. And he starts, with the, he starts this, with this part of his letter by saying this in verse 5. He says, your attitude, let me just define who your is. Your attitude, meaning you church, you follower of Christ, you who profess to know Jesus Christ, you, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul could have just stopped there, right? That's a powerful verse. That's a powerful line. Your attitude should be the same as your Savior's attitude. But Paul talks about what we have already discussed this morning in reference to how our Savior came and how he lived his life. He wanted to make sure that both the church at Philippi and you and I who read this today understand what he's saying. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." 
That's humility. That's service. That's ministry. And that's why when we, you and I have opportunity, and when I, as I have seen you in the last month, take opportunity after opportunity to serve those around you. I praise you and your faithfulness. And we don't ever look, you know, we have to be good stewards. We have to be smart about how we serve others. But we don't serve others because they deserve it or because they've earned it or because they're going to do something for us in the future. We serve those around us because we are called to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. You know, this is going to sound funny because it just popped into my head, but you never read in the Gospels where Christ sent someone a bill. Yeah, I healed your daughter. Uh, one of my apostles will be around next week to collect my fee. Never. Never did that. He just served to the point of the cross. And you are doing that. And I encourage you to continue to do that. I think the takeaway is simply keep doing what you're doing. Serve those around you this Christmas. Make sure that, that you have either you have done or you take opportunities to serve others maybe who are less fortunate and serve them in such a way, this a beautiful verse, um, and I, I don't remember the reference, but it says, see, let them see your good works so that they may glorify your Father in heaven. Serve people in such a way that they know it comes from Christ, either from Christ's relationship with you or a Christ-centered church. Make sure that the individual knows that this is because God loves them. This Christmas, do that. Bill, will you come and just give us a closing benediction, brother?